Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning on winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh-huh. It's comic book commentary. Hey everyone, Kelly Thompson here, back for another comic book commentary. Uh, this time for Jessica Jones number one. Uh, hopefully with far less coughing in this uh, in this episode. And uh, of course, a big shout out to Ben Blacker. Thanks so much for having me back. Um, I had a great time with the first one, and uh, I hope this one will be even better since I'm feeling better. Um, I'm going to try and be mm, not brief since you're here to hear what I have to say anyway, but... Uh, I'm doing uh, Jessica Jones number one this time, and that is 40 pages, not 30, which was what I did for Captain Marvel. So I'm very aware that I should uh, get right down to it and get in here. So first things first, um, this is Jessica Jones number one. It's the Purple Daughter arc. So uh, this is already available digitally. The second issue actually comes out uh, Wednesday, February 20th, so probably this week, if this is going up this week. Um, and so the previous episode is already out there. Issue two, which is also 40 pages for $5, digital only, comes out this week. And you can read the previous run. You don't have to. This stands pretty well on its own. Um, but you can read uh, Jessica Jones' Blind Spot, which is six issues uh, collected in trade, or three double-size issues digitally. That is already out there in the wild, and uh, feel free to pick it up if you uh, find this interesting. Uh, my collaborator on this is the really, truly incredible... Um, and I'm going to butcher his name, even though we've talked about it, uh, Maria de Ulias. Uh, he is an incredible artist, up-and-coming artist at Marvel and everywhere in the world, I suppose. Uh, he does uh, everything on this book. He's the artist and colorist. And then we have Corey Petit doing letters. Uh, our cover artist is Martin Simmons. We have a really great graphic designer in Carlos Lau. Uh, editor is Alana Smith, and uh, 
overseeing us all to make sure we don't uh, stray too far is uh, Tom Brevoort. Uh, so <clears throat> the, the only thing you need to know going into this book is that Jessica Jones, one of the one of the great things I love about this Purple Daughter story arc is that you don't really have to have read any of the Jessica Jones comics. In fact, you would be pretty up to speed if you only ever had watched the show. And yet, I think we're very deferential and building upon what has been in the comics. So uh, I think if you've been a longtime fan of Jessica Jones and Alias from the good old days, like I am, uh, this will really tickle you and intrigue you because it builds on some of the core stuff of Jessica Jones, but it's pretty accessible. Even if you only just ever watched season one of Jessica Jones and you know about her relationship with Kilgrave, uh, I think there would be real emotional resonance in, in this arc. That said, I'm incredibly proud of what we did with Blind Spot. Um, and a lot of people like to see Jessica in stories without the Purple Man, in which case I highly recommend Blind Spot because it's a completely separate case that has nothing to do with sort of her past trauma. Uh, but if you want trauma, here you go. This is the book for you. Um, this book definitely um, leans into a lot of feelings I have about trauma and how while I don't want us as human beings or as creators or as readers to sort of wallow in that, you know, we want our characters to inspire us and to move on and to live wonderful, fulfilling lives. At the same time, real trauma is not something that you just get over, no matter how badass you are, as Jessica Jones is extremely badass. Um, you know, that's a permanent scar. It stays with you your whole life. And um, one of the big things about it, I would say, is that it creeps up on you in ways that you don't expect, you know, in your daily life. You're just sort of going about your thing and something, a smell, a sound, a taste, a thing you see, something triggers it. And I mean, you can be right back in that no matter what, no matter what you've overcome. And so while I'm not interested in dragging Jessica through something and torturing her at the same time, you know, we're all looking for great stories in our comics and something that's going to stay with Jessica for her whole life is um, Purple Man and what he did to her and how it changed her life and how it'll always be with her. Um, I also think that in the way that comics and all media, but but comics, let's stick with comics since that's what we're talking about, uh, can really highlight and exaggerate real life. You know, Purple Man is a, a very specific kind of trauma where, you know, you've been forced to do things that you wouldn't have done, that makes you question reality, that makes you question yourself. It's hard to know what's real and what's not real. Um, it's... Uh, it's a really tough way to live, and it's one of the testaments of how incredible Jessica Jones is that, you know, she's even standing. Um, 
so yeah, the only primer you need for this, um, there's a there's a really big cliffhanger in Blind Spot, the previous arc, that shows Jessica Jones' beloved daughter with Luke Cage, uh, the superhero Power Man. Uh, Danielle has suddenly turned purple, uh, like the thing Jessica hates the most in the world. But like I said, there's just a quick little couple paragraphs here to bring you up to speed. Uh, so we, uh, we sort of dive right in to a scene with Jessica uh, somewhere in the East River, like underwater, and she's strangling someone. And uh, it's, so this is when I become a villain, is her only narration caption. Uh, one thing you'll notice right off the bat, if you've read any of my work, or if you've read the previous Jessica Jones arc, um, we paired way back on Jessica's internal narration as well as her dialogue. Um, it was something I felt really strongly about, uh, about how she'd be processing and that we needed to not overwrite it. It's also something I couldn't have done without Madia as my partner because, and I wrote this to him in the first script and in the first emails when we were talking about this arc, you know, I know you're up to this challenge, but reassure me that you're up to this challenge. We have to lean really heavily on you. Um, we need to really feel these emotions, but I feel strongly that we need this quieter script. And it that that puts a lot of weight on your shoulders. And because he is both an incredible talent and also a, a hell of a nice guy, uh, he was he was more than up for the challenge. So we start right out of the gate. We sort of smash cut back in time. The scene when she's strangling someone, saying she becomes a villain, is Sunday night. Is the uh, sort of time stamp on it. And so then we go back to Sunday afternoon, and she's drinking at a bar, and she looks miserable. Uh, and we get these just silent flashbacks uh, that are all black and white. The only color is purple, of the purple of Danielle's skin. And so it's uh, Luke and Jessica. It's just a one flashback panel of Luke and Jessica standing over the crib. And there's Danielle looking purple. And then we go back to Jessica drinking in the bar. And, you know, again, I think it's really impactful, those images. And it's that old cliche, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? Um, Maria can get more mileage out of his beautiful images than if I wrote a whole page of prose. And so we just let that happen. Um, so we come back to Jessica sort of drinking herself into a stupor here, which um, uh, which is sort of old hat for Jessica, right? Um, this is this is who she used to be. This is who we hope she's moved on from. Not that she doesn't still drink, but she doesn't set herself up and go through, you know, a fifth of something in the afternoon. Um, we've got Captain Marvel, her best friend, Carol Danvers, showing up in street clothes uh, in this amazing Dazzler t-shirt that Mattia and I believe his girlfriend designed, which tons of people saw and are like, why isn't that a real shirt? I need that, which I totally agree with. 
Um, so we've got Carol sort of trying to talk Jessica down and find out what's going on. One thing I, I like, I don't know where I ever saw it. I don't think I came up with it on my own, but I definitely subscribe to it, is this idea that Carol Danvers is Jessica's best friend, other than Luke is probably her best friend, but uh, Carol is her best friend, the person she confides in. But even though Carol cares about Jessica Jones a lot and is very good friends with her, Jessica isn't Carol's best friend. And I find that to be an interesting dynamic um, and something that says a lot about Jessica Jones and the how much she'll let someone in her life or not. Um, I think just uh, Carol Danvers' best friend is Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman. And I think that has a lot to do with the kinds of things Carol needs from a best friend. Jessica Drew can supply and Jessica Jones cannot. And it's not any disrespect to Jessica Jones. She's just a very specific person who, who can be x kind of friend you know and uh i don't know i think it's a i think it's an interesting look at the way friendships evolve and change over time but also that it's okay for them to not all be the same um and this friendship works for both of them you know uh carol knows she can call jessica for help she relies on her she's her friend but she's not her first call a lot of times, except for maybe something specific. On the other hand, Carol is one of the only people Jessica Jones would call. Uh, and it's interesting. So here we have um, Carol trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Jessica is not saying anything much. Um, she's saying she's not okay. And then she's got some internal narration here, but she's not relaying anything. Uh, we did this great show don't tell of a flashback uh, of Jessica and Luke sitting on the couch talking about what has happened with Danielle turning purple and then we cut back to the bar and we understand that Jessica has just relayed those two pages of flashback to Carol and Carol is sort of horrified and uh, you know she's Carol, Carol shifts directly into solve the problem mode. You know, she's a superhero. She's a leader. She's a captain. She's her friend. Let's solve the problem. Let's work it. You know, and uh, we've got Jessica making these sort of uh, mean in interior narration about, oh, Carol's a detective now. How cute, you know. But as usual, Jessica is five steps ahead uh, especially on something like this where she's already been involved. Um, and so we've got this great bit of Carol talking and trying to figure things out and then suddenly realizing why Jessica isn't trying to solve the problem and that Jessica doesn't want to know the answer because she's afraid of it, which is this great revelation. But then you've got Jessica saying in her head, yeah, that is it but she hasn't even realized the worst of it and then she's like oh wait I here it comes and we get this great expression on Carol's face where she remembers that she threw in in the old Brian Michael Bendis story that happened in 2017 the end of 2017 um 
that or the beginning of 2017 it was the end of the old jessica jones series that that ended with purple man sort of quote-unquote killing himself and then captain marvel throwing him into this throwing his body into the sun like to be rid of this problem forever but if purple man is back which is what is sort of implied by just by jessica's daughter danielle suddenly turning purple carol is suddenly confronted with this reality of if he's not dead, who did I throw into the sun? Which is terrifying for her. You know, she's not a killer, so this is a problem. Uh, we've got Jeff asking Carol if she wants a drink, and Carol being very strong and resisting and getting a seltzer. And now they're both depressed, and now they're both upset. Um, but Jessica gets a text message, which is what she's been waiting for, and we realize that as much as she wants to live in denial and drink her way out of this problem, she's still working the problem. And the reason she's working the problem is because she'll do anything to save her daughter. Like she's, she, these are her worst fears realized, hers and Luke's, and she can't just drink herself into a stupor. So Jessica takes off to follow this lead that she got on her phone and apologizes to Carol on her way out, uh, which Carol says is not necessary, but Jessica really feels like it is. I mean, I think one of the cool things you get to explore in a Purple Man story that touches people who aren't just Jessica is the guilt Jessica feels about those people being drawn into Purple Man's web just because they're part of Jessica's life. Uh, it's something she says in that earlier scene about, you know, we've all been through a lot of stuff, Luke too, but he's always been a little bit removed from this purple man nonsense. And now he's having to experience it firsthand and it's a nightmare. And she, the guilt she carries for bringing people she loves to purple man's attention just by being in their lives. So now we're at Sunday night and Jessica is staking out a restaurant across the street. She's got one of my favorite lines here where her Maddie has got this great profile shot where her eyes are sort of narrowed like she's seeing someone and the line is just, hello, bitch. So then we get this Carol or this uh, Jessica POV shot and in all these POV shots, uh, like in the previous volume, they're sort of Polaroids, uh, sort of like a, her PI vision, right? Uh, a Polaroid over it. And sometimes it's just an identifying thing. Like in this case, it says Kara Kilgrave, which is who she's looking at. Uh, and in some cases, it's um, like an observation she might have, especially if it's an observation that maybe not everyone would get. But it's, it, we vary what it can be. So... She's looking at Kara, Kara Kilgrave, who is, of course, Purple Man's daughter, and wears it on her face very clearly in that she is purple-skinned, uh, which is something uh, Jessica hates. <laughs> so Jessica walks right over there, and she's thinking about how she's got to use just the right amount of force to knock her out, uh, you know, without killing her. Um because she can't have her conscious because Kara's powers are very like Purple Man. She can just, you know, take control of you through these pheromones and then that's it. You know, you can be lost within that. Uh, someone tells her she can't just punch people and she's like, yeah, really? And then she like pushes that guy. So she's in a mood, we should say. So she's flying Kara in the air and as it's happening, Kara's starting to to regain consciousness 
And so Jessica hurries up and slams her in the river. And so now we join back up with her. This is where I become a villain thing. So one thing that's true of Kara's powers, supposedly, is that they don't work in water because the pheromones, it's pheromone based. And so the pheromones can't, they can't be absorbed, I guess. So this is Jessica trying to neutralize uh, Kara's powers. So she basically drowns her, which is extreme. Uh, but uh, Jessica is in an extreme mood. Uh, so then we've got, she, she, once she knows she's out, she takes her out of the water and sort of slams her into the ground, uh, which is excessive. <laughs> and then she's just sort of sitting there watching her body. And then Kara starts coughing and she's like, I knew, I knew it. I knew she wouldn't die. You know, she's hard to kill just like her father. And for people who don't know the connection, that's when we first get the clear connection of who she is. So... Jessica basically, while Kara is still doesn't sort of have her mind together and she's still choking on water, uh, Jessica begins questioning her about Purple Man. Uh, Kara seems to think he's still dead. She has no knowledge. You know, Jessica can't know for sure if she's playing her or not, but it seems genuine. And Jessica confides that her daughter Danielle turned purple yesterday and Kara seems to appreciate the intensity of this. Because for those who don't know, you know, Kara doesn't have a great relationship with Purple Man. Purple Man's a nightmare. And Kara, though she has been an anti-hero and has been a bit of a villain from time to time, she's also been a superhero in Alpha Flight. And, you know, she's a complex character with plenty of grays, but she's no, she's no monster like Purple Man. So Jessica basically apologizes for uh, drowning her, for killing her briefly. Um, and comments that, you know, it's not a fair excuse, but she's got a problem with her power, with uh, Kara's power set and even her face. And she was desperate and she didn't really know what to do. She was, a, she was afraid she'd get a hold of her. Kara says she's not in on it. And Jessica chooses to believe her. And this is my favorite bit of the, of the opening arc, which is Kara asking Jessica to run Jessica through the options of what this thing with her daughter could be. And I'm just going to read these two panels because I really love them. Or, well, it's actually three panels. I'm sorry. Uh... And they're just so beautiful and understated by Madia. Uh, just, just Jessica in profile. And then in the third panel, you really see the emotion break. So here's Jessica's first, first panel. Option one, it's just an illusion. He really is dead. And this is some kind of final trick he's managed to pull. Some kind of time release, maybe using magic. Or he's using someone else to manipulate us, perhaps. Option two. This is panel two. He was never dead. He's still alive and he's still screwing with me. Us. My mind is not my own. Maybe it never was. Life is an illusion. Truth is a lie. I'll never be free. I'll never know what's real. Which is brutal. Brutal, right? But then panel three is when she really loses it. Option three. Danny was always his. 
And you can see that that is an even worse nightmare for her than the not knowing and truth being an illusion. And Kara really gets this. Um, so she questions her about some things. Was Danny touched? Because she thinks that's how the purple children, who are other children of purple mans that are sort of running around that have been in Daredevil books and things like that, um, they, they activated their powers when they were touched by someone with similar powers. So Jessica starts thinking about this, and um, the actual thing that Kara brings the most to Jessica is this small bit of peace by asking if Danielle's upset by the change. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And there's this sort of softening of Jessica's expression that's so wonderfully done. And Jessica just says, no, so far she just thinks it's pretty. And Kara uses that to remind her, you know, even if it's the worst nightmare, she's still your daughter. And she's sort of speaking from experience there, which she says, you know, because you, it, this is Jessica's story. So we don't get hugely into what Kara's been through. Um, it's not Kara's story, but I think it's a great callback over to, you know, Kara went through things like these. Like when you wake up one day and you turn purple and you find out your dad is a monster who abused your mother and who is you know, just a killer, a complete nightmare, you have to question everything about who you are and what you are, what you're supposed to be, if this changes you. So her speaking from firsthand experience about being purple is sort of an emotional moment and Jessica really appreciates it. So then our final cutaway for the, the page 20 cliffhanger before we go into sort of the quote unquote chapter two is the Kara and Jessica clearly being viewed from afar through the trees and then this cliffhanger reveal of the purple children with all their creepy children of the corn purple all glowing eyes saying this is unexpected so we don't know who they're how they're involved or what's the larger play here so then we go to the following day or well rather that night 4 a.m. And it's Jessica sort of crying quietly, sitting, sitting, sitting vigil basically next to her daughter, sleeping idyllically in her crib. And Jessica just really having a come to Jesus moment about this is why you don't love anything because, you know, then you can be hurt. And, and this is the thing I've tried to avoid my whole life. And here I am now. And then Luke sort of silently appears in the door and, uh, and, and, and she moves to follow him. And I, I, you know, I haven't talked a lot about the lighting uh, in, in, in Madia's colors in this first part, this first chapter, 
but they're magnificent. You know, I, I sort of write as many night scenes as possible to like give him all these chances to show, cause he's such a magnificent colorist, all these chances to show the light changing and reflecting and, you know, let's have, now we're getting some neons and now we're in this dark water, this blue green water, all these contrasts. And this is one of my favorite here in this scene because it's all these sort of blues uh, of this dark room as she's sitting watching her daughter sleep. And then we get this Luke sort of standing in the hallway light contrast of this light room versus dark room. And then Jessica sort of following him into the light, but then immediately back into another dark room. And, you know, I don't want to say there are metaphors there, but <laughs> there are, there are, um, it's so beautiful. So we've got this great scene now with Jessica and Luke who are so far apart. You know, we've got them sitting on opposite sides of the bed, facing away from each other back to back as Luke sort of confesses all his greatest fears about this, which at the heart of it is above and beyond, you know, his obvious concern for his daughter, but that he understands now why people who suffer, you know, a, a, a lost or missing or kidnapped or dead child. Um, you guys are getting to hear the cuckoo clock uh, as it strikes four. Sorry about that. Um, why they push people away that he never really understood it before and now he sort of gets it. Um, but also, you know, him sort of confessing that he's not trying to undermine or dismiss what's happening with Jessica because he knows it's horrible for her as well, but that it's worse for him because there's a chance and there's no chance in any of this or there's doesn't seem to be any chance that Jessica is not Danny's mother, but it's the story's leading Luke to believe that maybe he's not her father. Um, one of the things we, we bring up very early, which I sort of skipped over is that, you know, um, Danny's features are, are, it's, you know, it's not just that she's, she's, uh, excuse me. It's not just that she's a biracial child you know, she really looks like Luke. She has a lot of Luke's features. She has, she has hair that's kinkier, you know, that she, uh, she looks more like Luke than Jessica. And so just making her purple doesn't make her seem like not Luke's and their fear, which Luke expresses right away in this issue, which I said, I sort of skipped over is that, you know, because that's Jessica's argument. She's like, she still looks like you. She's yours. It's, it's, we don't know what it is, but she's still yours. And he's like, well, yeah, but yesterday she wasn't purple. What if she keeps changing? So his fear is she's not his and she's going to be, keep changing and keep becoming less and less his. And, you know, Jessica gets that. Um, she wants to comfort him. She wants to reach out to him, but she doesn't have anything comforting to tell him. And so, uh, you know, he, he lets her know that he's going to move them to a hotel, um, be, both because maybe it's safer to be somewhere where people don't know that they are. And also because there's damage to the apartment from something that happened in the previous run. So, um, 
she's nervous about um, she's nervous uh, about them being apart, but she gets it. She goes to her office and uh, to get away from seeing him pack because it was sort of like too real. Um, but then she quickly returns to the bar uh, and goes back to sort of her old habits. We do see her call what we assume is Matt Murdock, Daredevil. She just says Matt, it is Daredevil. Um, and she says she's leaving her second message and she alludes to the purple thing, hoping that will prompt a callback. While she's in the bar drinking her cares away, she hears a uh, news report about a, a pizza delivery man um, who slit his own throat with a pizza cutter and that it happened really nearby uh, a a ship X driver is what we called it who stuffed himself with packing peanuts uh, the previous week and these weird deaths really perk Jessica up because they have a very specific tang to them that feels like purple man to her like if they have sort of a bizarre sense of humor to them almost like a poetic he likes irony, poetic justice. So if he was mad at a ship X driver for not delivering something on time, that seems like a way he would make them kill each other, you know, or kill himself. So she, so here's a, here's a lead for her to follow up. At the same time, she gets a text message from Kara telling her to meet her somewhere. So she heads out to do that. Uh, She's very skeptical about what are they doing. Kara tells her to go into this building. And Jessica's like, wait, you're not coming. That seems pretty sketchy. And Kara's like, I can't go in there. My appearance might be triggering for people. I shouldn't even be on this street, to be honest. And Jessica realizes it's a Kilgrave support group. So she really pushes back on Kara like this isn't what I need and Kara's like actually I think you probably do need it but that's not why I brought you here I brought you because I think there might be a lead in there um you know that's a big no-no to do in those groups but I I think this is important and I think you're worth the risk and so I'm willing to do it and Jessica is still really grouchy and <laughs> Kara's very much like listen go in there or don't I'm just trying to help and I'm out you know so Jessica goes in and immediately sort of screws it up. Um, she, she goes in, she gets introduced. She, we get some of her thought process into why she doesn't engage in these groups, which is, she says it's not arrogance. I think some of it probably is about arrogance, but for her, it's like, you know, she's not just Purple Man's victim. She's a superhero and she's a PI. And she's the, you know, she's just not one of these victims. She's the one who stopped him. She's the one he's particularly obsessed with. She's the one he sort of focuses. She's even more than all of these people. Not in an arrogant way, although again, I think there's some of that there, but she also, you know, she's a superhero. She's seen so much shit. Um, 
she she's not the same as just a guy who you know works in a bakery who had a horrible interaction with purple man that scarred and possibly ruined his life you know and now he goes to a self-help group Jessica's different than those people and it means that she doesn't find a lot of help in the support group she's also particularly dramatic and not inclined to that and has her own stuff that's maybe she needs to work on but I do think she's right that she's not the same as the other victims she they share a lot but she's not the same that said while she's listening to them she hears her P.I instincts click in and she's like this person is bullshit and so she calls her out maybe not the right call because everyone turns on her and she immediately gets tossed from the meeting but she claims it was the right move because she 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 says that outing her verified to her that this woman was bullshit and so then she basically stakes out the meeting until it's over and we get our greatest little line where she takes a picture of the girl as she's coming out of the meeting and says, gotcha, bitch. And this little old woman eating soup tells her to watch her language, which I love. Plus, I mean, you guys got to buy the issue just to see the way Maddie draws this uh, little old woman. It's ridiculous and amazing. So Jessica then tails this woman uh, to see if maybe she'll lead her to Kilgrave. Um... And follows her down an alley and it's bathed in all these great reds and this sort of steam of the city. It's just, it's just gorgeous. And this girl, Anna, that she's following. And then Anna punches her. She's got super strength. They have a little tussle. Anna fights pretty dirty. But, you know, Jessica's a pro, so she holds her own. And then Anna takes off into the air uh, way faster than Jessica could ever fly. Also, she's not very good at flying. And she doesn't really try to give pursuit, but even before she could, she sees one of the purple children in, and chases after the purple child and then loses it in the crowd. So then she's back at Alias Investigations in these beautiful blues, bathed blues, blue lights of, the, of uh, her laptop screen, which I love these colors um, of Mattia's. They're so great. Sort of got a glass full of ice pressed to her cheek where she got punched. And she's sort of searching for this woman, Anna, and is shocked by how easy it is to find her because this woman, Anna, is now dead. Uh, she basically flew away from Jessica and almost immediately went and jumped off a building and plummeted to her death, which is a really hard thing to do when you can fly. So Jessica knows something's up with that. She marks the locations for the death of Anna, flying off or falling off from the building, the ship X driver and the pizza guy. And she finds basically it just creates a perfect little triangle of this area of the Lower East Side um, that she feels like has narrowed down her search area um, and that maybe he's operating out of that area. And so then we have I'm sorry, the East Village, not the Lower East Side is what I put. So then we've got this cutaway for our cliffhanger to the end of this issue where it cuts to a broken down brownstone 
with some ominously glowing lights and windows that clearly should not be inhabited in the East Village. And we get the purple children talking to a, uh, a figure cloaked in shadow, sitting in a chair, uh, and saying that he was right. Uh, she knows something. Jessica won't stop until she finds you. And this figure says, why? Why is she involved? And they say, we don't know. And he says, well, it's going to get her killed. And we see the hand, which is not purple. Intrigue. That's right. Uh, so, you know, Jessica really jumped to conclusions about it being the purple man. Like, that's very traumatic for her. And that's where she goes because of what she thinks... Uh, what she thinks comes for her in her life but she made a sort of classic PI mistake possibly in just assuming that it was Purple Man when really there are so many things that could be messing with her she lives a very weird superhero life and a PI life the two together is particularly bizarre um, so our teaser for the next issue is Jessica dives deeper into the web of horror that her life has become. This time she's not alone. The heroes for hire, which means uh, Iron Fist, yay, and Luke, of course. Uh, the Devil of Hell's Kitchen, dare, dare, none other than Daredevil, and one of the world's most formidable mutants, which is going to be Emma Frost, are on her side. But are any of Jessica's allies safe from Kilgrave's purple children, uh, or whatever else is going on? Um, so yeah, so that's where we leave off for issue one, which is 40 pages for five bucks that you can buy digitally on Comixology or the Marvel app. And yeah, then if you are lucky and you haven't bought this yet, you can immediately buy issue two as well, which is another 40 pages. So, uh, 80 pages of content for 10 bucks is pretty good. And then the final chapter will be out in about a month, and that will be another 40 pages. And it's all drawn by Maria, except for, and colored, except for 18 pages of the first half of issue three. So pages uh, 80 to 100. And... I think we did it in a really smart way that it's going to make a lot of sense and be very cool as to why the whole thing isn't drawn by Madia. And uh, I'm really excited about it and I hope people love it. So yeah, that's what I have to say about Jessica Jones. Um, this has been one of my most exciting things to write for Marvel. It's given me a real chance to stretch. Um, it's darker, it's more noir. Um, Jessica definitely has a sharp sense of humor, a very dark, sarcastic, you know, side to her. So I don't want to act like it's devoid of humor, but it can't rely on punchy jokes and sight gags as much as a lot of other stuff I do. Um, again, I am really fortunate to have a great partner in crime on this who can really deliver those visuals that I need and let me be more serious and... You know, I mean, I, I, comedy is a very hard thing to do well, um, and I hope I get better at it all the time, but comedy and being meta about things, like, sometimes that allows you to pull a punch 
and be like, no, no, we were just joking. You don't have to feel any feelings about it. Um, and that's okay because it's just a comedy and we're just all having a good time. But sometimes drama and something darker like this is a lot of a challenge because it's sort of daring you not to feel. And if you don't feel, then I have to sort of be like, well, no, we definitely failed then. Um, you know, it's not like with comedy, it's like so much is salt to taste with comedy. What's funny to one person isn't necessarily funny to another person. And that doesn't mean you failed. But I feel like with like a deep resonating emotional thing, uh, this should be pretty universal in, in how hard it hits people if we're successful or not. And so if someone reads this and, and it's just like totally unaffected by it, um, I do feel like that's a bit of a failure, which is so that's a bigger risk, I guess. Um, but I'm really proud of what we're doing. I, I was really proud of Blind Spot as well. That's definitely the most sort of aggressively feminist thing I've gotten to do since I've been at Marvel, which of course I love. Um, and while that one was dark, it was a little more fun. This one, we're really putting Jessica through her paces and, uh, I think it's a really great story. I think it's, I hope it's the kind of story Brian uh, would have liked to have told um, if he'd stayed around uh, even longer. And I'm really grateful that I, he gave me the chance to do it and Marvel gave me the chance to, to tell it. And I hope you guys love it. So thanks so much. I think I am coming back because ben, ben is very generous and kind. And I think I'll be coming back to talk about Sabrina, uh, number one for Archie Comics sometime in March, which I just started getting the art back on that. And it's so good. Veronica and Andy Fish are absolutely killing it. It's uh, I think people are really going to love it. So I'm excited. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thanks as always to Ben. And I hope you guys read some great comics this week. Bye. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe Dog. to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.